thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. The Bible says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. I want to talk to you briefly tonight from a Bible study titled, Baptism is a Picture. Say picture. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for all that you've done around the world today to glorify your name, God. Churches have exalted you across the nations today, Father, and we thank you for all the souls that you saved today, the lives that have been touched today, and your name that has been magnified. God, I pray that you would speak to us now as we look to your word. Father, we gather tonight to follow your word and to obey you, and we thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Baptism is a picture. When I was born, I was born into the Catholic Church, and they had many sacraments and many ordinances that they had developed through the years over what is called papal tradition and the tradition of the fathers. And in the Catholic Church, that, in their mind, is on par with whatever the Scriptures teach. If the church fathers or the pope declare it, they believe that that equates to the same validity as the written word of God. We don't believe that in Bible-believing churches because the Bible declares for itself it's magnified above everything, and no one can say something that's on par with the word of God. But in the word of God, as we study the teachings of Jesus, we don't find many sacraments, we don't find many ordinances, but we do find two specific ordinances that the Lord gave his church and told us to carry them on and continue with them And they are what we call Holy Communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, and Believer's Baptism. And I'm not going to talk to you about communion tonight. Come back on communion night, and I'll talk to you about that. But I am going to talk to you about baptism, baptism being a picture. It's a visual sermon. Many times Jesus would um, give lessons. He would give teachings that would literally be an attempt to place an image in your mind because the language that he would speak Uh, in the culture around him were Greek-speaking people, and he would sometimes use their words to create greater depth of imagery in their mind. The Lord's Supper is an image. It's a picture. It's a visual sermon being preached out through illustration of the body uh, being represented by the bread and and the, the wine representing the blood, and it has to be broken and spilled out and, and taken in for it to be um, part of who you are. And baptism, in the same way, is a picture. It's a picture of your old life being done, you dying to your old way of life and coming alive to something new. And I believe that it is a sacred time and a holy time. Let's Look in verse 6 of Colossians 2, just a couple of verses before the verse 12 that we already read. And the Bible says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. This would be a great verse for me to teach next Sunday uh, to all the people who truly got saved. This would be a great verse for pastors around the nation to teach in a new converts class because we need to understand, and hopefully everyone in the room understands tonight, that walking an aisle, praying a prayer, kneeling down beside your bed, wherever you were when you gave your life to Christ, that that was not the end of the matter. That was like, oh, great, I'm saved, I'm all done, I'm good. No, that's the beginning of the matter. That's where you start and you continue on from there. That's why the Word says, just like you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, how did you accept Him? Wholeheartedly, totally all in. 
believing with everything you have, that's how God expects you to see what it says in the very end, continue to follow him. How? Wholeheartedly, all in with everything that you have. Verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. We're not supposed to just get saved and it be a casual thing for us. It should be a deep thing. That's why I tell you, Jesus did not allow himself to be beaten, mocked, spat on, stripped naked, hung on a cross between heaven and earth, and died just so we could come to church on Sunday morning and say hallelujah. He didn't give give his life for us just so we could make him a part. He gave us his everything, and he expects our everything in return. Don't just be a Sunday Christian. Don't just be a Sunday, Wednesday Christian. Don't just be a Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday Christian. God wants us to be deeply rooted. He wants our lives to be built on him. Christ should be the center of your life. If you really had to answer the question honestly and you were asked, what really is the central focus of your life? What is your life truly centered on? Honestly, for most adult women in the room, experts tell us that most women find depth of meaning in life through family and relationships. So for most women, it would be either through their family or through their relationships. Experts tell us that most men find depth of meaning in life through their successful accomplishments or through their career. So that's where most people's lives are centered. That's where most people find their depth. But as we grow in Christ, we need to realize whether you're male or female, there's more to life than your family. There's more to life than your relationships. There's more to life than your career. There's more to life than being successful, being a dominant alpha male, that your life should truly be focused and centered on Jesus. Verse 12, uh, verse 7 goes on to say, then, when, when is then? Right, come on now, y'all been hearing this for years. When is then? Then is always after. After what? After what was just said. This is how we read the Bible. When it says then, we understand that it only happens after you do what was just said. Only after you have accepted Christ in verse 6. Only after you've continued to follow him in verse 6. Only after you let your roots grow down into him and your life is built on him. Then, after all those things that have just been said happen, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Okay, now let's just check Bible geniuses in the room. Why is it that some people who are truly saved don't have lives that are overflowing with thankfulness? Because they didn't do verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Because if you don't do the if, you can't get the then. When the Bible says if you do this, then God is going to do that, or if you do this, then these things will follow, you got to do the if to get to the then. And there's too many people sitting in churches across America wondering, why don't I have all these things the Bible promises me? Well, these promises are conditional promises saying if you do these things, then. When is then? Then is after. After what? After what was said in the verses preceding the promise. The promise is that your faith can grow strong in the truth. Well, a lot of people don't have strong faith. Why don't they have strong faith? They didn't do verse 6. They didn't do the first part of verse 7. It says, then your faith will be strong and, more blessing, you will overflow with thankfulness. If you find your life not overflowing with thankfulness, if you find your faith not being as strong as you need it to be, you need to realize, you know what? I'm probably not doing verse 6. What does verse 6 say? That you must continue to follow him the same way you accepted him wholehearted, all-in devotion. If you're not following him in wholehearted, all-in devotion, 
Don't scratch your head and set an appointment with me to wonder why your life's not happy and joyful and that everything's not going great for you. The Bible promises these things to people who do the if so they can get to the then. Verse 8 says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Say, don't let preachers run a lot of game on you and tell you a bunch of stuff and make it sound like you can have all great stuff. It's a very simple matter. It's not about high-sounding words. It's not about great speaking. It's very simple. If you do the if, you can have the then. If you don't do the if, you can't have the then. If I say, if you shake my hand and and smile at me tonight, I'll give you a $20 bill. Well, don't walk out of here mad because I didn't give you a $20 bill if you didn't shake my hand and smile at me. Now, that bet's off. I'm not doing that tonight. That was last week, and you missed it. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. You got to do the if. It's not about believing philosophy and crazy preaching. All this, I hear stuff on the TV. It makes me want to throw stuff straight through my Samsung. It really does. Preachers come on there and say, if you'll just claim this promise, if you'll just, just look at yourself in the mirror and say three times, just say three to touch your neighbor and say three times. What? What? Touch your neighbor and say three times what? Pull the lever. Just reach up to heaven and grab the money lever and pull down blessing. Hallelujah. What? This is not Bible. This is high-sounding nonsense. This is not how we get blessed. We get blessed by fully following Christ. This is what the Scripture tells us. It's not about chanting magic. People live bad all week long. The Bible says I'm the head and not the tail, always above and never beneath. I I reject that in Jesus' name. I speak life and not death. You can't just go around creating magic spells everywhere you go. You don't read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. But you think you just quote just random cliches out of the Bible and and say everybody in my family is going to live forever because I speak life and not death. Let me tell you something. Somebody who's been there knows that. That don't work. But if you follow him, your your faith will grow strong and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let's look at verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of the God in a human body. I'm not going to take time to preach verse 9. Verse 9 is one of the most doctrinally deep verses in all of Scripture. A lot of preaching been done on that verse, right, Brother Jim? A lot of preaching has been done on this verse. Everything about God is to be found in Jesus Christ. This is what this verse is. Everything about God. People want to know. See, everybody's not interested in Jesus, but everybody's interested in spirituality. Everybody. Lost people, saved people. Seekers, everybody is interested in knowing about spirituality. Many people are okay even listening to you talk about God. But guess when folks start getting uncomfortable? You start talking about Jesus. They tell people, I remember when the great Dr. Homer G. Lindsay was alive of, of, the, of the famous First Baptist Church downtown Jacksonville. And Homer, Homer G. Lindsay was a, a great champion of the faith and did amazing things for Jacksonville and was hated by many people as a result of it. But I remember one time when Dr. Lindsay was alive and they asked him to speak at a graduation. And back, I don't know how they do it in Duval, man. We were stuck in clay for a long time in the history of our church. They, they graduate on football fields outside in stadiums in the rain in high schools in Clay. That's so nasty. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that, I mean, do they do that in Jacksonville? Anybody? Y'all don't know how they do it in Jacksonville? UNF, man, we graduated in the, in the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And it, air conditioning, right? Thousands of people in there. And we, all these big Clay High. Go, go to a Go to a graduation at Clay High School. 
in June in, in Florida. Bugs big as your fist swarming you. Sweat rolling down every part of your body. Anyway, let me get back to it so we can get out of here. Dr. Lindsay was asked to preach a graduation ceremony. It's right up the street from his church. I mean, his church is downtown. He just had to walk to the Coliseum. And, and, and they said, but out of respect to all faiths, we would ask that you don't make it about Jesus. We know you'll talk about God, but God is for everybody. And Jesus, and, and they're all right about this. Jesus said of himself that only my followers will go to heaven. And Jesus did say that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone tries to get into heaven any other way than me, they're a thief and a liar. So don't believe this political correctness that folks are preaching in 2016. Don't believe in tolerance and open-mindedness. Christianity is none of that. Christianity is a Jesus is the only way religion. If that offends you, study the Bible. You'll find out Jesus, that's what he taught. He taught, I'm the only way. Nobody else is getting in. And so they asked Dr. Lindsay, don't preach about Jesus uh, you can say something about God. You can pray, but don't, don't, don't pray in Jesus' name. Don't talk about Jesus. And Dr. Lindsay, oh, my gosh, I don't know if it was the, really the right thing. They, they probably didn't like it, but he stood up in the Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Coliseum, and he thanked everybody for being there. He was a regal dude, great speaker, and he uh, thanked everybody, for, just applauded the graduates. What a great job as they step out to venture into their new frame of life, talked about college, trade school, talked about, you know, moving on and having families, building legacies. And he said, now, I've been instructed by the kind people who allowed me to speak today that I am not to talk about Jesus, and I make my living talking about Jesus, and there are churches all across the world that if you want to hear about Jesus, you can go to church on Sunday, and you can hear about Jesus, and I can't talk to you about Jesus today because I don't want to violate the terms of my agreement, which I was asked to be, but if I could talk to you about Jesus, I would tell you that he's God's son. And if I could talk to you about Jesus, I would tell you that he's an all-sufficient Savior. And he went on for 30 minutes to tell what he would do if he could talk about Jesus. It was awesome. <laughs> Dr. Lindsay understood that everything there is about God is to be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full embodiment of Christ. Everything about God literally dwells inside of Jesus Christ. You can't get spiritual without Jesus. You can't get to God without Jesus. You can't get to heaven without Jesus. And if you're not a Jesus-only person, if you're not a Jesus-is-the-only-way person, you are missing out on the beautiful truth of Colossians 2.9. In Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. Jesus came. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is why they hated him, because he told them they loved them some Moses. Moses was the leader of the Hebrew faith. And they loved some Abraham because Abraham was the father of the Hebrew faith. And Jesus told them, before Abraham was, I am. And that threw them back. Because they're like, well, you're obviously not older than Abraham and Moses, and only God can say I am because that's the eternal existent one. And Jesus, the reason they crucified Jesus and the religious leaders hated Jesus wasn't because he healed the sick, wasn't because he raised the dead, wasn't because he was a great guy who did good things everywhere he went. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And this is what the Scripture tells us, that he is everything there is about God in a human body. Verse 10 says, so you are complete through your union with Christ. 
who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Jesus is the top of everything, and if you have him, you are complete. You have everything you need. The Bible tells us that God's given us everything we need to be all that he wants us to be. So if we're not being all that he wants us to be, we don't need to wait on God to do what's next. We need to do what's next. I'm going to keep going because that would make good preaching right there. But verse 11 says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now, you guys have been around for a while. You've heard me tell you before that in the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of God's covenant. And I thank God that it's not the sign of God's covenant today in physical fashion. Because if we had to circumcise grown men at this church the way they circumcised grown men in the Old Testament, I mean, here it is, throw it up on a rock, take a sharp rock, saw it until it's done, no anesthesia, no, no pain medicine, just we, we got to do some cutting here, y'all. We got, why, why? Here, here's what circumcision is. It's the cutting away of unnecessary flesh. Why did God say, I want all the men to be circumcised? Well, I don't know, but it sounds painful to me. <laughs> sounds painful to me. But they had to do it. Why? Because God required it, and it had to be done. And I've told y'all, some of y'all need to quit saying, I, I'd rather be the gatekeeper in, in heaven than, well, I guess you'd rather be the gatekeeper in heaven than spend your life in hell, but, but the gatekeeper was the circumcision checker. You don't want to be that guy. Well, I, I, maybe you do. You're weird. But uh, that you couldn't get into a church in the Old Testament without proving your circumcision. Where's the gatekeeper? Whoa, lift up the rope. You got to show that you truly have been circumcised. And listen, Hebrews won't let you in their church today. I dare you. I, I, I'm looking around to see if anybody looks like that even to get in. Nope. I, you cannot go to an Orthodox Jewish church. I told y'all, when I was in L.A., I, try, I saw a bunch of guys with the long things and the beards and the things hanging down here and the hats, and I thought, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to go to their church. This looks so cool, and I, I love Jesus, and I love God. He's a Hebrew, and I'm for the Jew, and I, I want to go to their church. And so I asked them. I said, you guys are obviously going to temple. What, what, what time does it start? And the man asked me, what was that to me? Okay, Mr. Friendly, help grow your church. I thought I would join you tonight. He laughed in my, he said, oh, no, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. They make churches for people like you down the street. I'm like, church of people like me? What, you, you classing me now? You profiling me? You, you racially judging me? Yes, he was. Not allowed in. And it was the same way in the Old Testament. You had to be circumcised to get in. But verse 11 says that when we came to Christ, we were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. What is that? It's the cutting away of your sinful nature. So, because God never changes, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If circumcision was the sign of being a God follower in the Old Testament, then circumcision is still a sign of being a God follower in the New Testament. But it's not the circumcision of the flesh made with the cutting away of skin by the human hands. It's the circumcision of your heart made by Jesus. What is he cutting away? The old you. What's the old you full of? Unnecessary flesh. Flesh that God didn't intend you to need. Flesh that you have that you don't need. Things that you're doing that God doesn't require of you to do. That's got to be cut away. Listen, 
Do not resist the cutting away of unnecessary flesh in your life. If God graces you and loves you enough to show you that your behavior is the old man and not the new man, you need to cut that out, cut that out. Just realize that's part of your spiritual circumcision. I'm going to keep going because we got children in the room. Verse 12, and, and people are starting to get antsy. Verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Okay, how many people in the room have been baptized? All right, hallelujah, me too, a couple times. All right, you put your hands down. How many people in the room have been physically buried, had dirt thrown on them, and people walked away from you because you just got buried? Please don't raise your hand. That's somebody's like, oh, me, happened at a party one time, you know, <laughs> heroin involved. No, nobody in this room has, hopefully has been really buried. But the Bible, which is never wrong, the Bible's always right. Our understanding of it might not line up, but the Bible is always right. And the Bible says you were buried with Jesus when you were baptized. Now, you said you raised your hand. Or you, ra you raised your hand and said you were baptized. That means you've been buried. You haven't been physically buried. This isn't talking, this isn't talking about um, really happening in real life. It's a picture. This, this isn't literal. This is figurative. It's a figure of speech. You were buried. When you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, if I ask people, how many of y'all have really been raised to new life? Some people raise their hand and be like, hallelujah, glory to God. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And they'd be all on because they're spiritually high and they're full of faith, and they'd say, I've experienced resurrection power, but none of us have been truly raised up off this earth. We're all still here, feet on the ground. These are figures of speech. We do not really get buried when we're baptized, but in a manner of speaking, in a spiritual way, it's an end. It's an end to an old way of living. It's a burial of your old self. And that's why many people need to get baptized again, because they haven't really ever committed their old life to the grave. They haven't really ever committed everything about them to the water and said, I'm, I'm completely done with that. You say, Pastor, is it scripturally right? Listen, you can be baptized as many times as you want to. There ain't no prohibitation about it in the Bible. But you need to understand, it's a picture of laying down everything in the old life and being raised so that you can be everything that Christ wants you to be. Verse 13 says, you were dead because of your sins. Now, how many people have ever sinned? Some of y'all wouldn't raise y'all hand if I pointed a gun at you. I'm a Baptist. I don't raise my hands. I'm a Methodist. Listen, it's okay to raise your hand. You were dead because of your sins. We've all sinned. How many of y'all are dead? Oh, love me some grateful dead. I'm a, what, what's the guy's name? The fat guy? Jerry, I'm Jerry Garcia, man. No, not that kind of dead. The Bible says that we're dead. We were dead because of our sins. We weren't literally dead. We were spiritually dead. It's not talking about literal. It's talking about figurative. It's a picture. It's a metaphor. You were dead spiritually because of your sins, and your sin nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. This is really a picture, an example, an illustration of what happens when you pray to receive Christ. You die to the old way of life, and you become alive. You come alive. God gives you new life, new birth, salvation, a born again, a new birth experience when you come to Christ. Verse 13, 
You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for if he gave our sins. Verse 14. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is the greatest news I can offer you. This, this is at the very heart of the gospel right here. This, this whole passage is theologically deep and, and preach heavy. But he canceled the record of charges against us. Now, see, when I was a Catholic, this is what they taught us, that if you're christened into the church and you're a good Catholic, and the Pope defined a good Catholic then and still today in the Catholic church, a good Catholic is someone who attends Mass at least once a year and says confession at least once a year, okay? And if you did that and your good outweighed your bad, you'd go to heaven. Well, here's the reality. I had not attended Mass or confession in forever, but they still believing I was a good Catholic because I got christened at birth and I wore a little, little saint medal around my neck. Um, but I wasn't even fulfilling the requirements, and my good certainly wasn't outweighing my bad. But Catholicism has permeated every Christian denomination in the world because in uh, the, the 300-something A.D., 300 years after Jesus died, one dude named Constantine saw a cross in the sky on a great battle when he was fighting another emperor for control of the whole world. And because he won easily a battle he thought was going to be hard, he took over the whole world. And Constantine was the ruler of the whole world, and he was a polygamist. He believed in many gods, but he saw the cross, and he demanded everybody got to follow the religion of that cross, and the Catholic priest had the cross on his neck. He said, that's the religion for us. Anybody who don't follow that religion dies. So they killed everybody who wouldn't be a Catholic. So at one part, point in the world, everybody was either running from Constantine or was a Catholic. So the Catholic Church has permeated the theology of every denomination, even non-denominational Pentecostal holiness churches. So what's the, what's the part they permeated? We still believe that we got to do good to get to heaven. We still believe that our good's got to outweigh our bad. We still believe that God's keeping track of every good thing and every bad thing we do, and we're winning brownie points, and we're getting demerits, and if you got more brownie points when you get to heaven than demerits, God's going to let you in. Please don't believe that. That was never true in any, in any religion, and it never will be the case for anyone other than Jesus. Only Jesus had more brownie points than demerits because he had all brownie points and no demerits. But the Bible says human beings are desperately wicked and sinful beyond imagination. There is a thought in society today where people honestly believe, and I've had people tell me, well, I just believe all people are basically good until they prove me wrong. Keep believing that. Let me tell you what the truth is. All people are wicked and born sinners. This is what the Bible says. Now, I'm not saying walk around with a stink eye on everybody. And you might be that overtly friendly, extroverted person like that dude Will Rogers who claimed he never met a man he didn't like. I promise you, he didn't live on the west side of Jacksonville. That's funny right there. And he didn't live in 2016. But you got to understand that we are not going to heaven because we're good people. No one is. If anybody goes to heaven, it's only because... God canceled the charges, not because he added up the charges and said, okay, you got more good in you than bad in you. He canceled the record of charges that were against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I don't get my theology from music. That's a danger zone. I don't get my theology from Hallmark cards. That's a danger zone. I don't get my theology from TV shows. That's a danger zone. I don't get my theology from preachers. That's a danger zone. I get my theology from the Bible because that's safe. But some preachers, some Hallmark cards, 
some songs have good theology in them. And I really believe the words to that old song that says, when he was on the cross that day, I was on his mind. How could I have been on his mind 2,000 years ago? I wouldn't, my, man, people talk about you wouldn't even gleam in your daddy's eye. I wasn't even nothing. None of my people were nothing 2,000 years ago. How could I have been on his mind? Because the Bible says that God placed the record of charges that was against me, and it nailed it to him on the cross. All my sin. So I was certainly on his mind because all my sin was on him. The Bible says he bore our sins in his body. And he suffered and bled for us and died for us to make payment for our sin. Verse, or let's, let's, skip, let's skip down. I'm going to hurry up. I'm going to fast forward through these. I'm going to just read these and get to it. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, now, at, at this point in Paul's life, had he really been nailed to a cross? Was he there with Jesus on the cross? Was he crucified with Christ? Not literally. You need to understand sometimes the Bible is talking in illustrative terminology. Sometimes the Bible is using metaphors. Sometimes the Bible is using figurative speech. He wasn't literally crucified with Christ, but he said, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He wasn't literally crucified with Christ, but all of us should equally be able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. Why? Because our understanding of Christ, if you understand, brings you to the point where you say, I'm dead to the old me. The old me died on the cross with Jesus. God put my record on the cross with Jesus. All that sinning I did, I'm dead to that. All that old ways I did, I'm dead to that. That's not me anymore. I died to that. I came alive to Jesus, and I died to my old self. It's a picture. Say picture. Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. A lot of y'all raised y'all's hands, said y'all been baptized. You didn't die when Jesus died. And you weren't buried in a tomb that they sealed with a rock and guarded with Roman soldiers that came open on the third day. But the Bible says we died and were buried with Christ. It's not literal. It's figurative. It says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He died. Figuratively, we, we died to ourselves, to our life, to our agenda, to our old man, to our old ways, to our old hopes and dreams. And we come alive to who he is so we can experience the glorious power of the Father and live new lives. Christianity is about a new life. People will try to prove to you that they're saved. Oh, yeah, I go to church all the time. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, my mom and daddy helped build the church. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, my, my grandfather was a mason, laid the cornerstone on the building downtown. None, none of that makes you a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. God gave me a new life when I accepted his son, Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you're really a Christian, you became a new person. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you go to church. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you pay tithes and offerings. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you work in the nursery. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you're a good person that does lots of good things and loves God and loves people. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you, you volunteer um, to help handicap people. You can't prove to me that you're a Christian because you can quote a thousand verses of Scripture out of the Bible because you know everything there is to know about the life of Jesus. But you can prove to me, yourself, and the world that you're a Christian if you've truly been changed. If you can say that I used to be that way, but now I'm this way, that's new life. I, I used to be on this track, but now I'm on this track, that's new life. That's Christianity 101. 
Last portion of Scripture we'll look at, Matthew 3. This is when Jesus went to his cousin John. Now, John is the, the uh, cousin of Jesus, and he's been hearing about his cousin his whole life because Jesus' mother went to John's mother. They were both pregnant at the same time. John came first, but Jesus' mother told John's mother, God has visited me. I am a pregnant virgin, and God has told me that the Messiah would be born unto me. Her cousin Elizabeth got all excited. God gave her faith instantly to believe it. God filled her and the baby with the Holy Ghost, and John leapt in his mother's womb. So he knows who Jesus is, and he believes more than anybody on the planet at this time that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Redeemer. And in verse 3, or verse 13 of Matthew 3, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. Hey, cuz, let's don't do this this way. That's not exactly what he said. What did he say? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. If anybody's going to be baptizing somebody, you're more important than me. You should baptize me. I'm, I'm, I'm following you. You're not following me. He said, so why are you coming to me? In verse 15, Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires so John agreed to baptize him. John, in humility, tells his cousin Jesus, no, this is not right. You're the Messiah. I'm not. You're, you're greater than me. Uh, no, the Bible says that you've got to let somebody else baptize you. Now, if Jesus baptized John, cool, but somebody still got to baptize Jesus. Why? Because God requires baptism. I don't argue theology with people, but I'm going to tell you this. You have to be baptized. You have to be baptized. This, this, this is not, it's not an optional issue for you. God requires baptism. God also requires living holy. God also requires you pay your taxes on time. God also requires that you do the speed limit and wear your seatbelt. God also requires that you come to a four-wheel complete stop at all stop signs. Okay? Can you get into heaven rolling through a stop sign without coming to a complete stop? You can. You can also get in an accident and hurt yourself or somebody. I'm not saying this is a salvation decision, but I am saying it's required by God to do it. How do I know that baptism is required by God to do it? Because Jesus Christ said we must carry out all that God requires. God requires baptism. So John agreed to baptize him. Verse 16, and here's the promise to everyone that get baptized. Why do we do what others did so we can have what they have? If you do what others did, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. The Bible says that we have this book we call the Bible to be an example to us. We read these stories to learn to be an example to us. If we see people did the right thing and they got the right result, if we do the same thing they did, we can get what they got. Look what Jesus got in verse 16 after his baptism. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God ascend, descending like a dove and settling on him. Now, what's funny, you see movies, Jesus get baptized, some dove comes flying down and, you know. It doesn't say that a dove came out. It said, like a dove. You know, you, you, you got people taking Elijah to heaven in a chariot. If you ask people, how did Elijah go to heaven? Most people say in a chariot of fire. Elijah went to heaven on a whirlwind. That looked like a chariot of fire. If, 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 you, if, you, if, you got, if you ask people about Pentecost and what happened at Pentecost, they'll give you a different description. It's not always what people say it is. 
but it's what the Bible says it is. It was, he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, in a dove, no, like a dove, and settling on him. Jesus did what God required and God responded. Jesus did what God required and God did something special for him. Jesus did what God required and God blessed him. That's no less true for us today. It's been the pattern from the beginning. God said, I put before you a choice, a blessing or a curse. If you obey me and do what I say, I will bless you. If you disobey me and don't do what I say, I will curse you. You say, that sounds harsh. No, that's just good parenting. That's what every good parent tells a child. Do the right thing, we're going to make it. Do the wrong thing, it's going hard. Jesus did what God required, and God responded. Verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God required that Jesus be baptized. And I have water poured on him. That wasn't just our culture. That's, that was the culture in the Catholic Church when I was born. They take water and they pour it on your head, christen you, and um, sanctify you as a Catholic. Then you have to go through confirmation as you get older. But that seals you as a Catholic at birth. They were doing bowl pouring way back before Jesus even. They were splashing. They were pouring. Some were dunking. Well, the thing Jesus did, Jesus didn't get poured on. Jesus didn't get splashed on. Jesus went down into the water, completely immersed his body in the water. Why? As a picture of giving it all up. Total surrender. Total death to the old way and resurrection. See, Jesus didn't have an old way that he needed to repent of, but he still was showing us how to fully obey God and what baptism was supposed to look like. And because Jesus did what God required, because Jesus obeyed him, look at what God said in the end of verse 17. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The goal of every child who loves their parent is to make mom and daddy proud of them. The goal of every child that loves their dad is that their dad would know, I love my dad and I want him to be proud of me. The goal of every real Christian is that their heavenly father would know, I love him and I want him to be proud of me. I love him and I want to bring him joy. He's done more for us than we, we can't pay daddy back. My kids have told me things they want to do for me when they get older and when they get money, and it's, it's awesome, and I, I hope that God will bless them to be able to do all that, and I'm going to remind them when I get old. <laughs> all this money you're talking about, Jake, it'll come through, son. It'll make it happen. Make it happen. But they can never repay me. I was what, part of what helped bring them into earth. You can't put a price on that. You can't put a number on that. You, can't, you can never pay back your parent for all they've done for you. you. You know, they try to put a number on it. I think it's up to $380,000 right now, what it costs uh, a middle-class American to raise a child from birth to 18, $380,000. That's a whole lot of money. I got three of them living in my house. You know that's over a million dollars? Y'all better do something. You better play some basketball and make some money. It's not about repaying, though. But every good child wants dad to know, I see you, and I'm trying to make you happy with my life. I want to bring you joy, dad. 
Do you realize we've all put our physical, biological parents through hell? We all have. We didn't treat them the way we should have. We should have been better children than we were. We should have showed them more love than we showed them. That's why if you still have mom and daddy, you need to, you need to honor them, and you need to let them know that you love them. But for sure we haven't honored our biological parent the way we need to or our spiritual father the way we need to. We need to let God know that we love him. Does that mean be perfect all the time? No, no we're not going to be perfect all the time. But here's what I want to tell you that you can rejoice in. For those of you that are going to be baptized tonight, and those of you who've been baptized by immersion, God says the same thing to you. Why? Because God says he doesn't pick favorites. He judges fairly across the board. What he does for one, he does for all. Jesus did what God required him to do. And what did God say? I love this kid, and he brings me joy. You come tonight as a child of God. Not to get baptized so you can get saved. You're already saved if you have faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible doesn't say we're all the children of God by getting baptized. The Bible says we're all the children of God by believing in Christ. Baptism is just your sign of saying, I'm all in. And I want to do this in front of people so others can know that I'm all in. I'm giving it all up. I'm following with everything. I didn't just pray a prayer and walk an aisle. I'm serious about this thing. And I'm laying it all down. All of me is I'm dead to all that, and I'm going to come alive. And the more you die to the old stuff, the more the new stuff can come alive in you. And I'm so excited for you tonight. And you may not get it all spiritually. You may not get it all metaphorically, but I want you to get this tonight. When you get baptized, no matter what you feel, emotionally or physically, no matter who claps or smiles for you, God is watching. And because you are doing what God requires, this is what God says over you tonight. You bring me great joy. You're my child, and you bring me great joy. And you ought to be excited. I love it when we get a chance not just to listen to the Word of God or to learn the Word of God, but to do the Word of God. I love it when we get to honor God with our lives. And some of you are about to honor God with your life. And he is going to open up heaven over you. And he is going to put spiritual blessing on you. I believe that because baptism is a sacred ordinance of the Lord's church, I believe that just as God opened heaven over Jesus and spirituality descended over him, that when you get baptized, if you are following him and you are all in, wholehearted doing this the right way in your heart, that God's going to open up heaven over you. He's going to smile on you, and he's going to bring greater spirituality into your life. And I believe that God is going to say about you, you bring me great joy. And there's nothing better that you can do as a child than to know that you have brought your father great joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture on the subject of baptism. God, I pray now in Jesus' name that as we transition, for those who will be baptized, God, I thank you for your promise that you will be happy in them, that they are about to bring you joy. So I ask you, God, to fill them with your spirit. I ask you, God, to descend spirituality into their life from heaven. Take spiritual gifts and impart them into them. Bless them. Infuse them with spiritual power, God. Help us to celebrate with you. Help us to be happy that they're doing something that's making you happy because we love you and we honor you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.